0: to you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Alana Pratt. She is an intimacy expert, a certified master coach, a podcast host, and an author. Welcome, Alana. I am so excited and so happy to have you here today, and I cannot wait to jump in. So how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's an absolute honor to have you here. I connected with you through Corey Poyer's. Blue Talks Bootcamp. So I saw you speak there and I was like, I have to have Alana on my podcast. So I reached out and I'm just so grateful that you said yes and are here with me today to chat. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: It's great. It's a small world. I love it.
0: (laughs) It So I want to jump right in and start out by talking about your work as an intimacy expert. How long have you been working as an intimacy expert?
1: Yeah, 20 years now.
0: 20 years. Okay. And so you use the word expert when referring to the work you do. Is there a particular reason you chose to use that word as opposed to using the word coach?
1: Well, I am definitely a relationship coach and I work with people's relationship with themselves first. And most of the time when you call yourself a relationship coach, they instantly think, you know, dating or marriage. And yet for me, intimacy is really about our, our intimate relationship with ourself, that vulnerable, transparent, honest, raw, real relationship. And so the word intimacy made more sense. But then when I started to call myself an intimacy coach, everybody thought, oh, she's a sex coach. She's a tantrica. She's going to teach me how to do better blowjobs or whatever. And I thought, okay, so how am I going to differentiate myself here, create enough intrigue, but enough difference? So I I called it an intimacy expert and a relationship coach because I'm a master coach level coach. I've been trained in that for 20 years as well. Right. So um, that's just how I decided, Brad.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I love that you mentioned the fact that our relationship with ourselves is the starting point, the foundation for it, because that is everything starts with self. We are the foundation for everything. And it just emanates out from there. That is the most important and longest standing relationship we will ever have throughout the course of our lives. So I love that you brought that up and said that and spoke to that.
1: Mm, Yeah, I totally agree. And the reason why in my long story is that I did not have a very good intimate relationship with myself. I didn't even know I had an inside. I was so focused on the outside, trying to be safe, look good, get approval, all of that. I never really slowed down to connect with my feelings or what I call now little you inside my heart. And as soon as I started to look inside and really discover how did I feel about myself? I did not like myself. I found out I was highly insecure, did not feel like the universe had my back, was scampering around for approval, and which made me actually go farther on the outside. Originally, oh my God, well, now I've got, got to be even faker, you know, <laughs> try to be a better people pleaser. I only had a master's in people pleasing. Now I need a PhD. And of course, that didn't work. Things got worse, not better. And so it really came down to how can I forgive myself? How can I love my wobbly parts as much as my, you know, impressive parts? Yeah. How can I be in the face of life which is uncertain and have my back in the face of anything? And that journey has been the most profound journey in not just self-confidence and self-esteem, but also humility and and a real gentleness and tenderness with myself and a deepening of my relationship with the divine. So I'm grateful. And that's the journey I take my clients on.
0: And I'd like to point out too that, that you talking about your journey and you're speaking about it in present tense, like you're still on this. We don't ever get to the end of it and our work is never done on ourselves. So again, I love that you brought that and you're speaking that way. So I'm curious then, who did you have to help you get back on this track and get into the point where, okay, I'm starting to love little Atlanta. How did that happen for you?
1: Yeah. I've worked with probably 30 different coaches and organizations over the years. Like I'm a nonstop student. As soon as I got on the personal growth path, I've never stopped and I will never stop. And so I would say in the very beginning there was landmark education And I was an SCLP head coach. And then I was after that working for T Harvecker. I was ranked as the top coach of their hundred coaches for peak potentials. And that's when I went out on my own. And I continue to get certifications most recently from Accelerated Evolution with Sethian Raja from company Warrior Sage. So those are some of the certifications that I've created. And then over 20 years from everybody I've learned from and all the different modalities. I created 10 Alana Pratt Method processes and they include quantum psychology, spiritual technology, a lot of somatic integration work, and mm. they work beneath the surface. A lot of times talk therapy only deals with your cognitive thoughts and feelings and beliefs. And you can kind of imagine like the top of an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is very small yeah. and it's helpful. It's helpful for a better attitude. It's helpful for maybe relief or coping mechanisms. But it doesn't, in my opinion, create lasting transformation and a soul's deep, like the deep work for ascension. And so the processes that I've been trained in and that I train my coaches in and use with my clients, they're all beneath the surface. They're all of those subconscious, unconscious, or we could call them blind spots, those wounds that if we could see them, we'd change them, but we can't. But we do know they're there because when we get triggered, oh, do we get triggered, (laughs) right? Or that pattern shows up again and there we are blaming our partner yet again. Or every time we look in the mirror, we hate ourselves or our body or we're irritable with the kids and we can't be present or we can't get over something that happened in the past like a death or a bankruptcy. That's an indicator that there's unresolved trauma Or emotional triggers going on that are lodged in the subconscious. And then, most recently, the next certification I'm going to get this coming fall is in psychedelic somatic integration. I've done six series using MDMA and cannabis in a very somatic, experiential way. And it's been phenomenal to integrate wounds. I did plant medicine maybe 20 years ago, ayahuasca, and I can go way out there into tier three. But I can't bring it back into my body and have that sense of safety and home and well-being in my body under these difficult circumstances until I did this. It's called PSI, Psychedelic Somatic Integration Work.
0: That is powerful. So what inspired your journey then into becoming an intimacy expert? Why did you choose to go that path or go that route?
1: Well, as I said, I, I began 20 years ago. But I didn't call it an intimacy expert until I got really disheartened, I guess, with the whole dating industry and, you know, you got to find the one, then you'll be good enough. Then you'll be happy. No, I had two divorces and a horrendous custody battle. And still all of the finding the one didn't work because the one I hadn't found yet was me. And so Mm -hmm. when I realized, oh, okay, this is an inside job. Intimacy is an inside job. I thought, this is actually what the world needs. We don't need to find somebody and repeat the same devastating patterns. We need to heal ourselves and have two whole people come together and not have the old soulmate version I'm broken, you're broken, you complete me, you know, Jerry Maguire, (laughs) right? That doesn't work. Make us load a shit. (laughs) Right, but two whole people coming together, not perfect people, but whole. Like I do the work, I take ownership. I'm willing to clean up my own mess. I'm willing to make up for the damage done. I'm willing to tell the truth. I'm willing to not control you and be an allowance of who you are. All of those kind of skills I call being a whole person. And when two whole people come together, here's what's really cool. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals infinity because you literally come together, not just for, oh, you complete me. It's just you. You come together because the partnership is going to be a gift to humanity. It's going to up-level consciousness. That's what I'm committed to and what my clients experience.
0: Beautiful. Now, you had mentioned you didn't want to get confused using the title intimacy coach as a sex coach. So what do you do as an intimacy coach? What does an intimacy coach do? What do they focus on? What yeah, do they fo- focus on
1: Yeah, they focus on where someone still basically hates themselves, hasn't forgiven I- themselves, isn't at peace with themselves, isn't even connected or aware of why they're on the planet. What is their purpose? What turns them on? Are they speaking authentically? Are they lying to themselves and others? You know, are they blaming others rather than growing up and taking responsibility? These are all sorts of different examples of when we don't have an intimate relationship with ourself. When it comes to sexuality, which is certainly included in the world of intimacy, they might not feel free with their gender identification, their sexual orientations. They might have been terribly shamed and are afraid to be unapologetic and show up free and, you know, unabashedly in the bedroom. They might have had horrendous rape or molestation growing up, and there's really deep traumas that don't allow them to be present in their body and allow for that rapture where you don't really know where one person ends and the next person begins. They might have issues around ED or being able to orgasm. And again, those would be lodged in emotional abuse or thoughts about their body or shame or guilt. So sexuality comes into play very often in the work that I do. And yet it's not the foremost reason. The foremost reason is, can I stay connected to myself, have peace inside my skin, and simply be in these different situations? And from there, you become a better lover for sure.
0: But you're also a better
1: (laughs) parent. You're a better friend. and, And you're actually best friends with yourself. You realize, oh my God, I'm the love of my life. Wow. Hi, self.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's beautiful, Elena. How do you help individuals or couples improve their intimacy? What types of things do you do?
1: Mm, It's wonderful. We go right back to the basics of friendship. And because they've really, oh, they know who each other is. Oh, they know. What if you don't? What if your partner's actually evolved? And so have you. Can you be curious? So a lot of the work comes around dyads, which are a form of communication where one person might say, well, you know, tell me something you like about me. And the other person would say, well, I I love the meatloaf you make is great. And the other person would say, thank you. And the idea is all you get to say is thank you. And that means you won't interrupt. You won't blame. You won't check out. You really have a platform, a structure where it's safe to communicate truth. And so that was an easy question. But then we might get into, "Mm, tell me something that you want me to understand that you think I don't fully understand. And there's no name calling and no when you, uh, and then you might get into questions around sexuality, you know, tell me something about you and how you like to be touched. Tell me uh, a way you like to be loved. Tell me a secret you're afraid to tell me. So these questions can go deeper over time. And again, the structure is all you get to say is thank you. And wow, when you know that you're not going to be interrupted, when you know that you're fully seen and heard and understood, even if you're not agreed with, but you're understood, my God, the connection is insane. The safety increases, the transparency and vulnerability, you know, go skyrocket. And that's a really important way that I get couples reconnected to themselves. That's one thing. The other way is that I believe our, our relationship has come together to trigger our evolution, to trigger our wounds. And so I don't do all couple sessions. I do a session for her, a session for him, a couple session, a session for her, a session for him, a couple session, or her, her, him, him, depending on the, right. the gender identification of the relationship. Yes. And so in those private sessions, it's permission to unleash and integrate anger that is highly inappropriate to ever show your partner, but it lives inside you. And it probably was triggered by your partner, but sourced way back by your mom, your dad, somebody else. So I do a lot of really intense private work. And by the time they get back into the couple session, it's not about the other person anymore. (laughs) They've already apologized in the session. They're already whole. So I get a lot farther faster by having that way of working with a couple.
0: I love that. And so what is one of the biggest complaints then when you're doing your solo sessions with each male and female, or however they identify in those solo sessions, what is one of the biggest complaints with regards to intimacy about their partners that you've seen and heard in your work?
1: Oh, it's always the other person's fault. If only they would change, everything would be totally fine, right? All the time. And so let's just say they might call them a a lying, conniving jerk. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. Yes, you're allowed to
0: swear. Yeah. Okay.
1: So really what they say is a lying, conniving (laughs) fuckhead is what they say. And so I go, got it. Tell me more. So they'll tell me all about that. And then I'll go, okay, take a breath. Where are you a lying, conniving fuckhead? Because it wouldn't trigger you if it wasn't somehow unresolved within yourself. (gasps) Oh! I'm not, I'm perfect. I'm, I do, 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 do. And then I go, okay, well, even according to their point of view. And they're like, oh, according to their point of view. And then you really get themselves into the other person's perspective. And from their point of view, if they're afraid or mad or their upbringing, they start to have compassion and understanding like, oh, I get it. From their point of view, I did lie. Oh, from their point of view, I did let them down. Oh, from their point of view, oh, okay, I got that. And then when they can really go deep and go, wow, I'm no different than them. And then the blame dissolves. The self-ownership takes over. The compassion washes through them. And they see the little wounded little one inside of the other one. And they realize, oh my God, when we fight, it's just one little wounded five-year-old talking to another little wounded five-year-old. And I can open my heart. I can soften the front of my body. I can lean in. I can have compassion rather than instantly close my heart, pull away, and blame. And these new patterns in communication start to arise in the relationship.
0: Beautiful. What do you hope that people take away from their experience working with you as an intimacy expert? What is your biggest hope for people? Mm-hmm.
1: It's such a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked it me that way, Brad. What I want them to take away is the capacity to be able to keep their heart open in the face of anything. Why? So they can be their authentic self. They can live unapologetically. They can navigate challenges and discern the highest choices and the best forms of communication. It really comes down to, can we stay in our body and be present and stay on the planet in the face of all the challenges to the people that matter most, including ourselves? Or are we going to check out and when we check out and close our heart, we start using the worst of our brain, fight or flight or freeze or fawn. We don't use the best of our creative abilities, abstract thinking. We also disconnect from our intuition when we close our heart. So we can't hear, uh-huh, uh-uh, which means we can't trust ourselves, which means we're terrified, which then makes the fight or flight or freeze worse. And so this capacity to stay in our body with our heart open, we could call it bravery. We could call it courage. It's a capacity to stay present. And that will take you through every single circumstance in life. And it'll make the good better. And it'll make the difficult, challenging times manageable. You can navigate and become your better self. I think a lot of couples think because we have conflict, there's something wrong. No, conflict is just helping each of you grow into your better self. It's how you navigate conflict that's going to allow your relationship and yourself to become stronger or not
0: that huge domino effect when you close your heart it affects so much more and so many other pe- it affects the people around you your other relate like everything
1: yeah yeah and it it's, cuts you be so off from detrimental. the d- yeah and it cuts you off from the divine as well when you're in coherence when your heart is open you actually hear non-local intelligence as well so you you have like a you're super smart you have your own <laughs> intuition plus you can hear the whispers from the divine can you
0: discuss any challenges that you faced as an intimacy expert, particularly related to stigmas or societal attitudes towards sex and intimacy and how you dealt with them?
1: Oh my God, all the time. I even, in my deciding, should I call myself an intimacy expert, everybody just instantly thought I was a tantrica. And so I thought, oh, I'm just going to have to get rid of this name. But then I thought, no, this is part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. There is such a taboo around sex when sex is such a sacred, sacred, way of evolving and connecting with yourself and with your partner and so i thought no i'm i'm willing to be a little edgy. I'm willing to get them curious about what am I talking about really? So we can have a healthier outlook about sexuality, be able to talk to our kids more freely about it, you know, really get them to honor their body and support them in having not being taken advantage of. I mean, the statistics of girls and boys being taken into, you know, human trafficking is horrifying. Yeah. And so if we could have more open conversations around the beauty of sexuality and the divinity of your body temple and that no one and no thing is allowed to to touch it inappropriately like if we could have these conversations earlier i remember i'll tell you a quick little story mm-hmm. yeah um, one day i was think i was 13 and my mom took me out to dinner all by myself to a really nice restaurant i was sure i was in trouble because that never happened and <laughs> she downed a glass of wine in one gulp turned it over on the white linen tablecloth and said this is your vagina. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh my God, I was red. And she went on to tell me this, how you get your period and this how babies are made. But you know what, Brad, she never told me once about that. I had a clitoris. She never told me once about my G spot. She never once told me about the pleasure and the perception that, uh uh, that sixth sense we have in our body. She never told me about any of this. And so I went into the world just understanding the, the nuts and bolts, the, you know, the mechanical
0: and, basics,
1: right? <laughs> and it didn't really set me up to honor my body. I would give my body away to get what I thought was love or mm. approval or safety, all of these things. And so that's just a little example, although my mom did her best and she taught me a lot of beautiful things. yeah, It's an example of what I think is an issue. That is leading to the word intimacy, people just giggling and getting uncomfortable as opposed to leaning in, opening their heart and saying, yeah, isn't it so wonderful to be able to experience pleasure and love with somebody and to discover even who we didn't even know we were, our expression and surrender in a world where we try to keep it together, be in control. You know, sex is a way we can let go of control, let go of the edges into bliss
0: Yeah, we need, we do, we need to have, start having those conversations with our children when they're younger so that they grow up not in a situation and nothing against your mother, but that's, that's how a lot of kids were taught, right? Totally. The very basics and that's it. We want our kids to be educated and learn all of these things. You know, it boggles my mind when I think about the fact that there are so many people and that sex is so taboo among so many cultures, so many people. This is how you got here, is through yeah. sex. So what the fuck are you, like, <laughs> it's simple math. I mean, come on, why are you so uppity and uptight about it? That's how you got here. That's how you were brought into this world. So fucking loosen up a little bit.
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally <laughs> agree.
0: <laughs> it makes me laugh, you know. What are a couple of tips or takeaways that you can share with listeners, which listeners can implement immediately for improving communication and fostering deeper intimacy in a relationship?
1: Mm, Well, the communication one, I would say the dyads that I mentioned a moment ago, you can go for a walk, you can be naked in bed, you can go for a drive, you can chat at the dinner table and include the kids. And so these questions are great. And the rule of just saying thank you is a really great structure to put into place so that tough conversations don't escalate into conflict and you learn how to sit in the fire and keep your heart open. Even when you want to go, but I never said that like you want and you just go, you breathe. You go, thank you. Thank you. And it really shows us we don't have to agree to keep our heart open and to be in relationship and to honor one another. We don't have to agree to deeply understand our partner, but when we seek winning, when we seek dominating, when we seek being right, when we seek like, no, 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 you've got to agree with me. That's actually what really creates a lot of separation in relationships. So to shift your whole relationship to, wow, I'm I'm here to understand. Really, at the end of the day, our ego, I think, wants to be right and look good. But our heart and our soul just wants to be seen and understood. And if we can be that for our partner and let go of of having to be on the same page and agree on everything, the two-second hug or there's all full-on sex But there's like nothing in the middle. and so, Or if like you start any longer than two seconds, it has to lead to sex. So a lot of the women were like, well, I don't let him hug me for longer than two seconds or I have to put out. And he's like, well, I'm not going to hug her longer than two seconds because then I get too turned on and I want (laughs) sex. So I said, okay, so we're going to have this new ritual and it can be anywhere from like six seconds, but let's go for 10. And the rule is, it's just going to be morning and night a really solid six to 10 second hug that it's safe. It's not going to go anywhere else, but both people can actually put their walls down and actually connect. And so if we're going to do like a six or 10 second hug right now, one potato, two potato. Don't you want to like leave three potato, four, (laughs) five potato, six potato, seven potato more. Like we're still hugging, right? So a lot comes up. A lot Mm. comes up. It could be mm, that you're still pissed that they didn't take the garbage out. Or wow, you really miss them and you really want more than sex. You want hugs or you really want connection and you want to be able to exhale or, Oh, I, I'm sad and I haven't really slowed down to feel how sad I am. And I just keep busy and taking care of the kids or, or what have you. Like if you as a couple could do these 10 second hugs morning and night that the agreement is they're not going to lead to sex. They're a safe place to be real, feel feelings and connect to one another. And feel that exhale, and then that deeper exhale, and then that deeper exhale, and then there's the truth. And then at the end of the 10 second hug, just say what's true for me is, and then just and say thank you like a dyad kind of.
0: Mm-hmm. You'd be
1: amazed. You sometimes these initial things will come out of anger or sadness or longing or what have you, and then other times when you get into the practice, it's like, oh my god, I appreciate you. I so appreciate you have my back. Thank you for being with me all these years. But we don't get around to saying it. And if we say it, it's more like in a card or like a text, but we don't make it land. But when you're body to body connected like that, and you really say something like that, that I appreciate you. I couldn't do any of this without you. And the other person receives it, not just to them, but into them. This Mm. is intimacy. This is intimacy.
0: That's fucking powerful.
1: Thank you. (laughs)
0: Do you incorporate I imagine you do but I'm going to ask anyways, I would imagine that you incorporate a lot of your skill sets from your training as a master coach into your intimacy work. And so what does that look like? And how helpful has your training been as a master coach in your work as an intimacy expert?
1: Yeah, there were several great processes from that particular certification. But when I add them to all the processes I've learned in the last 20 years, and I add the somatic work, I've also been a dancer since I was five years old. So I I have a lot of like letting go and letting the energy of the divine move the body. And I do, you know, energetic work with people as well, rather than just two talking heads. And I would say, well, like let your heart talk to each other, or if your body could dance to express or move to express how you feel, Like so, to get them out of their head. So it's really a combination of you know amazing thought processes that I've been trained in, but also more coherence, like heart math. I did a a speech for a meditation for heart math at their annual conference. So really understanding the power of the heart, and then being sometimes I'll say, if your vagina could speak to him right now, what would your vagina say? You're sacred, Yoni. No, I'll go to different body parts because there's different awarenesses when we leave our mind and we let our body speak and move. The combination of all of them is exquisite. And then I'm also, because I've been at this for 20 years, if one process isn't quite clicking And I'm getting to know that person. Oh, they're more kinesthetic or they're more auditory. Oh, they're more visual. Oh, they're really shut down and they're not even in their body yet. I got to start with a cognitive process to give them a little more trust in me and in themselves. So I sort of have to dance. Person to person, situation to situation to make them feel safe enough to open up and feel. But I would say the bottom line of every single process, the goal where I'm going with each of them is to facilitate feeling. That's basically it because they can read a book. They don't need me for that. You know, but what they do need is somebody that can hold space when a feeling arises that on their own, they push away and what you resist persists and grows over time. So if they can only feel a feeling at 80%, they actually made it worse. That's that feeling of being re traumatized. However, right. if I can hold space for them to feel a feeling all the way through to 100%, it'll duplicate, it'll dissolve. And this gem of wisdom will be left afterwards. It's not like you feel the fear to get rid of it. You feel the fear to then all of a sudden you feel courageous on the other side from fear to courage from pain to pleasure, from sadness to forgiveness and allowance and compassion. There's an actual embodied experience on the other side of fully integrating a feeling that doesn't happen when we just dabble in our feelings. It only happens when we feel it all the way. And that is probably one of the greatest Rewards that's so fulfilling for somebody to go. I normally can't feel this, it's panic. And I go, I'm right here, keep breathing, I'm right here. And they get through to the other side to this place, Brad, of stillness in their body that they've never, ever
0: known. And it's breathtaking. Sounds magical.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely.
1: It's for the the brave, it's for the humble, (laughs) but it's for the people that are like, enough already enough. I call it sprinkles on top of the ice cream cone of shit. Like enough of just trying to have a better attitude and this isn't changing. And I'm on husband number two, or I'm on date number seven, or I haven't had sex in three years with my partner, you know, okay. Are you ready to do something about it? Let's do the work.
0: Yeah, yeah. that And that's it, right? You have to do the work. You have to put in the work. No matter what you're doing, everything takes work. That's how you get better at things. And if you're not willing to do the work, you're going to stay stuck where the fuck you are and you're not going anywhere. You're not advancing. Yeah. You're not growing. You're not expanding. You're not pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. None of it.
1: Yeah. And that you're compounds as getting worse over time because you start yeah. to feel ashamed. You start to feel envious of others. You start to feel resentful. You start to feel all of these unworthiness feelings. So if you don't do the work, not only do you not change, things will get worse.
0: Yeah. So how do you, know. you deal with that? I'm curious because I'm sure you've come across it. People that just are stoic and they stoic, they don't want to do the work. How do you massage them to get them into that space where they they do the work?
1: No, they don't. They, people that don't do the work never hire me. Narcissists never hire me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But there's right? got to be a little bit of reluctance, though, sometimes when people first come in, they're, they're somewhat reluctant, and you kind of have to nudge them a little bit, though?
1: Yeah, I would say I would say they're more reluctant to open up in the group setting. I'm- Most of the people that I work with, I'm very blessed. I'm not going to take a client on who's difficult. Because what is, it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of their time. Like if you're ready, let's do this. Let's roll up the sleeves. I would yeah. say the main resistance comes in when we do, because I do private calls and group calls and retreats. And so on okay. the group calls, some people have been there for 10 years. They just love them. They keep getting better. They love the community. It's safe. It's non-judgmental. They grow. And other people like it's their first call. And yeah. so I don't let them go first. I say, just get a, <laughs> you know, get a feel from it. And by the time it gets to them, they're like, holy shit. You are all so vulnerable. This is nuts. I'm totally terrified to share, but I'm going to start. I'm going to try. And so that is really the the quote unquote nudge. And it's really about being in a soup of conscious, kind, nonjudgmental, unconditionally loving people who are the bravest ones I've ever met on the planet, who show up vulnerably every single week and they bring their life. They bring their life. And I'd say the other piece, Brad, that allows for that is so do I so do mm-hmm. I. When, I remember back on my custody battle, the time that you know I, I lost and I ended up in the end releasing custody just so that he'd stop coming after me in court. And I said, yes, to my son, you can go live with your dad. I still have physical and legal custody, but I will relinquish that. And you can live with him primarily. And the finally, after 12 years, court stopped. I remember that wow. day. I remember that day. And there were no tears, Brad, on that day. I collapsed on the cold marble floor when he drove off with his dad Mm -hmm. and I, I did it to save his life. I did it to save his life and I was willing to take the high road, but there were no more tears when that happened in the moment. By the time that night I got on my group coaching call with everybody and they said, (laughs) how are you? And I said, cause here's my safe place. Here's the banks of the river. Like I'm the banks of the river for them, but I let them be the banks of the river for me. And I just lost my shit.
0: That's beautiful though that you shared your vulnerability with them. Cause then they get to see, wait a minute is sharing this too. Yes, exactly.
1: She's human too. And it was great because I remember it was a men's call at the time I had men's groups and women's groups. Now everybody's right. together, but they were like, Oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm like, shut up. No, that's not what you're supposed to say. Uh, so We actually turned it into a, how do you soothe a crazy ass crying woman effectively? And none of them did very well, but by the end of the call, they all were spectacular. They were spectacular. And it was one of the greatest learning experiences, not only of this vulnerability with me, but in how to be with another who's really upset in an effective way, which is a huge skill in relationships.
0: Yep, for sure. And that fact, the group setting, I would imagine, is probably quite a magnificent space because when people are come together in a group and they start sharing, it gives the others who are reluctant or may not be so willing, it gives them the permission to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, Sally's going through this, or Alana's going through this, or Brad's going through this, and he shared, so it's okay for me to share too. It gives permission, right?
1: Totally gives permission, and it allows you to know you're not the only one. Because yeah. in our darkest hours, we're sure we're the only one that's messed up. We're the only one yeah. that says, what's wrong with me, right? But when we're like, oh my God, everybody feels this? Even Alana feels this? Wow. It really levels the playing field, opens hearts even more. And then the other part is when I coach one person and you have a similar issue, you just got simultaneously coached. Yeah. So you're taking notes. I, I watched them. They're taking notes. They got something from everybody. And then this is good for my ego because I really had the conclusion that I can give better results in a private session. And sometimes it's true. I can't. Sometimes there's something really profound and it needs one-on-one attention for sure. But at the end of the call, I always do a round robin and I say, what's the greatest value you got out of coming together today? And I, you know, I kind of this, oh, Alana, when you said this, it was great. I, no, they don't say that. Oh, it was when Sally said this and George said that. And at the end of the call, I'm like, well, that's great. Okay, <laughs> bye. So they become wise sages to one another. Yeah. what I'm trying to say. And there's often exponential growth that occurs in a group coaching call than on a private call. And uh, it's it's good. It's good for my clients that come in to realize they're going to get both. They're going to get private and group. They're going to get exponential results.
0: I love it. I want to speak a little bit now about the coaching industry on the whole. And I know we've already talked about this where you use the word expert and you explain why you do that. But with being a coach, I want to hear your thoughts on the current state of the coaching industry. I mean, I've had multiple conversations with so many women who work in the industry as coaches Mm -hmm. and they choose not to use the word coach because of the bad connotation associated with coaching industry because of the things that are going on where people are saying, I can make you a six figure coach in six weeks and all the bullshit trying to get people into their energy. They use the word guide or mentor or expert or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. I want to hear your thoughts on what's going on in the coaching industry. Do you, subscribe to that? Are you you, like, do you agree about not using the word coach because of the bad connotation? And what do you think about what's going on in the coaching industry currently?
1: Yeah. When I started 20 years ago, I mean, there wasn't even like the coaching federation thing. You couldn't even get a certification. I just put a shingle on my door. And now 20 years later, it is probably the word that's least resonant with what I do. I still, because I've got five and a half million views on YouTube. And there's so many pages on Google that say, you know, Alana Pratt, intimacy expert relationship coach, that I keep it consistent for that manner. But when I describe what I do, it is definitely a facilitation. There's no fixing going on. I'm certainly not a boot camp badgering, you know, like football coach kind of energy. Yeah. And I'm not interested in doing the work for them, but I certainly can share vulnerably about what's worked for me. And I think the most important gift I give, and I don't know what the word would be for this, but it's my energy, Brad. I have cultivated the capacity to be non-judgmental and openly loving in the face of people's deepest, darkest shame and love them and mean it. And when one is in a conversation with somebody else, you know how safe it is to share or not. You know at three in the morning who to call or who not to call. You know this energy of safety or not. And so that I believe is the most priceless gift that I give my clients as a space holder, as an energetic vibration. (laughs) (laughs) I was
0: going to say space holder.
1: Yeah. 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 For them. They can only go as deep as I can hold space for without judgment and with impeccable presence. And I'm very proud of who I've cultivated myself to be for that. And I'm super grateful. I have very few people that I can call on as my coaches or my facilitators who can hold that space. And when I call, I know I will be met with impeccable presence.
0: What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do?
1: Mm. I love my clients. They're like my family. I love doing interviews like this, Brad. I love intimately connecting with people about what really, really matters. I love being transparent and vulnerable it's too hard to keep track of who I lied to and who I didn't. So I just like to tell the (laughs) truth. It's just so much easier (laughs) and it's deep. It's not shallow. Mm -hmm. And it's the type of work that allows us all to not regret anything, to see the gifts and lessons and everything, to sink our teeth into the moment, to go for it in life. And when we fail miserably to have a good old cry and a glass of tequila, yeah, a couple of shots of tequila actually, a, glass and, and of uh, tequila. You know, a good cry, and, you know, be human and yeah. then pick ourselves back up, learn and keep going. Um, That's and those, important. those kind of, yeah, those kind of resilient people and way of living is how I choose to live and who I choose to talk to. And I've created an entire business where I get to talk about what I like to talk about and be I who I like it. to be with people <laughs> who inspire me. It's pretty amazing.
0: It is. Now on the flip side of that, what is one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do?
1: Mm, I would say running a business. I'm back in college in Kamloops, British Columbia. I went to Caribou College for business for two years and I failed quantitative methods. And it's like, oh, business and numbers and all of that. I don't like it. I'm so grateful for my accountants. I'm so grateful for my bookkeepers. I'm so grateful for my staff who understands Infusionsoft and all the things that need to happen. <laughs> I have technology and numbers, Ugh. I don't care for it. I don't mind sales calls at all because they don't feel like sales calls at all. It's like mm-hmm. I'm just getting to know somebody and loving them. And if there's a fit for me to love them more, great. And if not, great. So those are fine. But otherwise, running a business, I would love a C, what is it? A COO or a CFO or a CEO, all the things, yeah. all the all to the I'll just all show them. up
0: and do what I need, do my work, stay right. in my lane, stay in my zone of genius. I'm good.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's heavy heavier for me about being who I am. But it's par for the course. Otherwise, I would be working for somebody else. So I do appreciate that there's no ceiling on what I create because I'm my own boss. I'm also responsible for several employees and a lot of clients. And some days it gets lonely at the top.
0: I think that's a very common thing among creatives too is you just want to do your work, create your beauty, create your art, whatever that looks like for you, and leave the business side of it to someone else. Like, fuck that. I don't want to deal with that. I just want to create and be –
1: yeah. yeah. And yet if I did that, I wouldn't be able to pay everybody and run the business <laughs> that I do. So I always make these little gestures with my hands, like a little half of a V on one side and half of a V on the other. So half yeah. of it is like, I get to do what I want to do and talk to all the people I want. And the other half is the challenge.
0: Yeah. And am
1: I willing yeah. to see the gift in the challenge? And I have become more empowered around business and around numbers and around investing and around agreements and around negotiations and investors and all the rest of it. Yeah. So I've grown and I appreciate that about it. I still don't really enjoy it, but I can appreciate it.
0: <laughs> I love your honesty. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast now. What inspired you to start a podcast? And can you share with us a little bit about the podcast, the title, what it's all? About? Obviously, it's about intimacy, but is it interview style? Is it solo? Is it a bit of both?
1: Yeah, it's transformed over the years. I'm in my 11th season now of my podcast. Holy shit! Yeah, and before that, I did three years of blog talk radio and another year of, what was it called? Web Web something. I don't forget what it was called. Anyways, <laughs> I've been doing interviews forever. It's one of my superpowers. So I'd say probably 15 years I've been doing interviews. Wow. Yeah. Probably over 900 people I've probably interviewed at this point. In big stars, Whoopi Goldberg, Alanis Morissette, like that. All the relationship, mm. who, who's, the Hendrix, all them. <laughs> um, and also what I love to do now in my 11th season of, it's called Intimate Conversations. And this year, season 11 is called Soul Medicine, and I'm restructuring it. Normally, I would interview others and feature others. But one of my own personal growth mm, breakthroughs in this past year is one of the reasons I would get depleted, resentful. I was coming from an old wound where I had to give away all my energy, my power, my light, my money, my body, my whatever, just to keep the, the other not angry to keep the other calm. It was an old wound. And as I've been healing that wound this past year, I realized I do a lot for others, but I barely take much for myself. I'll give like 85% to others and I'll put them all first and I'll go last. And the depletion, the lack of successful personal relationships, business relationships, that were all that same thread, that same wound even showed up in my podcast because all I would do is a weekly interview featuring somebody else I wouldn't even mention my own website. I wouldn't do a little commercial for my own shtick. Nothing. Yeah. It would just be all about them, all about them, all about them, and then hope they would interview me and do the same. But this year, I balanced it. I balanced it. So in a month, four weeks in a month, I interview people two of those months. But the first is the first time in 800, 900 like podcasts, whatever, the first episode of every month is a solo podcast with me. I've never, ever done that. I've never owned my shit. I've never been that vulnerable on the podcast. Normally, I do that in my coaching sessions. So the first is just me. The next two are guests. And the last one is a client. And I interview and we tell their journey and their success story. And every month is around a theme. So I've gotten so Organized. <laughs> so every month is a theme. And uh, yeah, I'm having a pre record with one of my clients tomorrow. And uh, she sent me her bio. And it's just amazing. She's worked with me for five years. She started off as a miserable woman in IT going through a divorce, not in her body, not in her confidence, not in her joy. And now she is this successful voiceover artist thriving in her relationship. She's got the cutest little bob with her hair now. She just looks so adorable. (laughs) Thriving with her daughter, thriving in a relationship, like everything's thriving. And we were talking before and she's like, you know, Alana, the work works, the work works. And we even had this fun idea that just happened yesterday. I'm what's coming up in my life, Brad, is that I'm putting a docu-series together. So I'll be pitching that. And if a network will allow me enough creative control that they won't exploit my clients, which is I've gone to network three times before in the past. And I didn't sign on the dotted line because I didn't have enough creative control. So as long as that works, we'll do it with a network. If not, we'll go for investors. But this client, she is recording my six books on audio for me and she's loving it. And she's probably better at it than I am so, <laughs> so I thought oh my god wouldn't it be fun in the docu series if you heard her voice she could be like the voice of God because it's so funny Brad and she's the voice of like true skepticism like does this work really work and then she's also in awe when one of my great coaching moments happen so we're, we're kind of thinking that she might come in just as a voice through the I docuseries love that. That yeah awesome.
0: awesome yeah kudos to you though for having the self-awareness to realize, wait a minute, I need to start giving back to me and yeah. highlighting and shining a light up. That is fucking huge. So congratulations and kudos to you for doing that. It takes Thank a you. lot. So yeah. you should be very proud of that. Because Thank when we're interviewing people, it's all about them. Yeah. That's the focus of it, right? So yeah. to have that self-awareness is massive. So congratulations, you should be Thank very you. proud of yourself. Thank I you. It that's is amazing. Thank it you. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you mentioned your books so let's talk a little bit about that you're the author of six not one but fucking six books that's yeah. huge I mean most people you hear they talk about I want to write my book I want and they never do it you've mm. fucking written six that's huge so can you tell us a little bit about the books the titles that kind of stuff share a little bit about them
1: Yeah sure so I, I don't know if I'm going to remember them I, I think the first one I wrote was How to Be and Stay Sexy Getting the love and attention you desire by being exactly who you are. And that was really this inside out. That was the beginning. I wasn't an intimacy expert then. I was still, quote unquote, a relationship coach. I think I wrote that one when I coached Lisa Gibbons through Dancing with the Stars. And we were really talking about sexy is an inside job same with intimacy, right? So there's that one and then how to be a noble badass that uh, I can't remember the subtitle right off the top of my head, but that's for gentlemen as well as one for gentlemen called scoring a relationship, turning gifts into experiences she'll never forget. So that one's full of photos as well as ideas and it really boils down to instead of giving her 12 roses, give her them one at a time with a reason why you appreciate her, why you love her, why she's sexy. Right, it's very, very simple. But wow, that gift is now an experience. That every time she looks at those roses, you know, that are going to live for a good, you know, week or two, she's yeah. going to remember. Oh, not not just oh, he remembered it was Valentine's Day. <gasps> he remembered. He says he loves my dimple on my cheek. He, like he like it goes deeper, right? Yeah. And that again is intimacy. Well, there's another one for women, mums. When mom is happy, everybody's happy. That one actually is coming out again with the audio this May. Oh, very um, nice. My client is is recording the audio. Yeah, and that one is really a lot of things I learned being a mom. You know, put on your oxygen mask first, and literally practices like with my son in the morning. He would come in at four thirty in the morning, and I would be exhausted, and then I would be a cranky mum, and I trained him you know come in when the clock radio says 700 cuz mummy's looking for patience and kindness and by 700 she'll have found it and so <laughs> these little ideas that he did and we were a happier family then i moved more into finding the one is bullshit becoming the one is brilliant and beautiful and that's when i really claimed the intimacy expert role where this whole finding the one is not the path to an epic soul-shaking conscious relationship. Um, There's another one called from heartbreak to Heartmate," And that's another way to help people after divorce or breakups or who are really disheartened with the whole dating app industry, how to meet people in a different way. And then I can't remember the other one. That's five. (laughs) Five Have you got another
0: book in you? Are you doing, are you working on another one? Are you planning another one?
1: I am going to wait. My seventh book will be definitely an autobiography. I have waited for my son to become 20. So no more custody issues about speaking. And I don't think I'm even going to sit down to write it, at least for another couple of years. I still very much feel going through a humongous personal growth spurt in myself and in my business. Mm -hmm. And I tried an app three years ago. I developed Heartmates, the dating app, and I hired a development team and like an app team and all the rest of it. And to this day, three years later, I still do not have the dating portion of the app. It has been a a really horrendous learning experience, a couple hundred thousand dollars, investors, shame, embarrassment, promising something to my, you know, my world and it not being there. So a very painful lesson. And I learned a hell of a lot as well. Don't go with the first development firm that's just presenting, you know, you can ask and certainly don't pay for everything until they give you this level of testing and prototypes. Like I learned, I was quite naive. So I forgive myself and I'm proud of myself. And I was a bold stand. I was a bold stand for what is possible because I really believe that dating apps are designed to keep people single because they make money when you fail at love, not succeed at love. And my dating app was going to include my intimacy training and these live conscious connection calls where we practice dyads like we were speaking of earlier Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be a, a much better way for people to date. And in the future, I might go for it again. I don't know. But right now, that's completing. So yeah, I've got some cleanup to do before the next book <laughs> starts to be written. But it'll come out. It's, it's in Beautiful. there. It's in my heart. It's Love in it. there. Mm-hmm. It.
0: You have been chosen as an icon of influence and featured in some pretty big magazines, media outlets, recognized and celebrated for all the work that you do and deservedly so. What do these accolades mean to you? Do they carry a lot of weight with you? Or is it just like a, a nice to have and to be acknowledged?
1: Yeah. I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I, mean, <right? laughs>
0: I kind of figured, um, but I thought I'd ask.
1: No, no, no. It's a great question. I do all the things, all those mm-hmm. things that get you awards and be on television and do all of that because I understand. And I, that's why even I use the word expert. That's another reason I use that word because it it alludes to at least 10,000 hours of which I've probably done 20,000 hours of intimacy coaching. Because when we first want to open up about something as deep as intimacy, it's not like I sell roofing It doesn't really take a lot of vulnerability to go by a roof and to open up to that conversation, but to open up to a conversation where you're going to reveal your deepest, darkest secrets, skeletons in the closet. This woman better know what the fuck she's talking about and she better be respected. So I do it more for that layer for the ego to just go, okay. And the mind can kind of quiet down. Oh, she knows what she's talking about. Great. She's got millions of views. Okay, great. She's worked with all these celebrities. Okay, great. And then we'll take the next step. And it's a big step. And I don't take it lightly, the level of vulnerability and honesty and transparency that I have the honor of sharing with people. So that's why I do all that. I mean, it's lovely. It's not like I don't care, but it's not why I do any of this.
0: Yeah. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: Mm, I don't know why. I love the shit out of people. (laughs) Like I can see, I can hear multidimensionally. So they might say one thing, but I can hear underneath that. Mm -hmm. I can hear what's really going on. I have an ability to do that. I also have an ability to make people feel really seen and safe. They'll cry. I mean, I can go to a furniture store and go shopping. And all of a sudden, within five minutes, I'm in the back. I'm talking with the owner. He's pulling (laughs) out pictures in his wallet. Here's my wife. I met her at 13. We're drinking whiskey. Like I just have this ability wherever I go. And most certainly on coaching calls. For people to tell me things they've rarely told anyone else, sometimes things they've never even told themselves, they tend to cry instantly within like two minutes. There's just something about my being that's very safe to be real with. And I'm grateful for that, that I've found a vocation that I can use that superpower to help them feel Mm -hmm. safe and seen and understood. And I'm very skilled at integrating wounds so that they can be free. That
0: is your gift to the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you?
1: Mm, Yeah. I prefer the word fulfilled than success. Success tends to have like too many glittery (laughs) (laughs) bombs on it. And it tends in my brain, in my being, it's more about the accomplishments and achievements on the outside, which I, I love. But more, if I use the word fulfillment, it's a feeling. It's a feeling of, of wholeness and gratitude and delight and rapture and wonder and awe of, oh my God, we are such resilient creatures. We are so brave. We have such a capacity to love. So yeah, I prefer the word fulfilled and I'm very fulfilled. And yeah, the success comes and goes yeah. <laughs> and I might yeah. be the flavor of the moment or not. Yeah, But I could look in the mirror and say, Alana, you're a successful woman at living your dreams and feel exactly. really good about that.
0: What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning that? What was your life like after you learned it?
1: Hmm. I think I, the, I would just say the most important thing is I, I can get through anything. I can get through anything. And I learned that probably the first time poignantly was when my best friend died when I was 16, unexpectedly. And I didn't think I could breathe I mean, I was literally running down the highway, screaming, no, cars screeching everywhere. Like I freaked out. But then later that night, it happened out at the lake. I found out at our cabin at the lake. My friends, my neighbors took me bike riding that night to the provincial park. And as we came home to the cabins, just as you come down the hill and then there's this openness, you could see the row of cabins, clear blue sky, not a cloud anywhere, two rainbows right over my cabin. And I knew one, my friend had... He had just lost his mother 10 months earlier. And instantly I thought, oh my God, he's with his mom. That's what he's telling me. So that was the first hit. The second hit was, oh my God, I have a choice. Two rainbows. There's a choice. Close my heart, be bitter, hate God, you know, curl up in a ball and never love again. Or Alana, you got to find a way to open your heart and keep going. You know, it's a choice. What are you going to choose? And Mm -hmm. that's even the name of some of my past programs heart splayed wide open. It's why I'm so into heart coherence because that lesson taught me to go on. Yeah.
0: Another beautiful gift. Totally.
1: Yeah.
0: What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: Mm. It's like an energy in, as, and through us that fuels our actions. And to me, that energy is God. It's the universe. It's this divine presence that is breathing us That is spinning this planet that we're on, that is birthing flowers and this life force energy. And when we allow it to come through us, to me, it's, it almost feels like the universe is aching to know itself as me and it fuels my bravery and my actions. And when I don't feel empowered, when I close my heart and my little baby brain tries to do it right, look good, be in control, I don't feel empowered. So to me, it's an energy.
0: We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing, okay? Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word?
1: Delicious. (laughs) 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 Love
0: it. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that one thing be?
1: To love with your heart wide open.
0: What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money?
1: Mm. Respect.
0: What is your favorite self-care practice?
1: Morning sunrise with my cup of tea.
0: Beautiful. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) How do you celebrate your wins, Elena?
1: Mm. Glass wine in the hot tub, paddle boarding in a beautiful lake where nobody is. I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in Wyoming, so there's not a lot of people around. But if I'm in a city, definitely dinner out with my friends. And I was literally talking to girlfriends last night, Brad, and I was saying, I would love a few more VIP clients. Anyone you could refer to me would be great. And I'm happy to pay a commission. And my girlfriends are like, oh, no, don't worry about the commission. I'm like, yes, you know, let me pay you a commission because we're all going to Vegas. We're going to do a girl's <laughs> <trick.">
0: <laughs> there you go. So
1: so that kind of, that's another way to celebrate.
0: What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, would you say?
1: Hmm. I didn't know this until the last year when I started doing the PSI work the psychedelic somatic integration work, but there was sexual abuse as a child and I disassociated and I didn't know that. I just knew I kept attracting abusers. And when I went into my first series, my first MDMA cannabis session with this particular protocol, I was not in my body. My body was cold and shivering. And when it came back into my body, I heard words I'd never heard I smelled smells I'd never heard. I felt physical penetration I'd never f- felt. And I saw the scene of molestation. And it was horrendous to say the least. But finally, I forgave myself of why I'm I'm a, a freaking amazing intimacy coach, one of the best on the planet. I create people's, like they meet the one, like it happens all the time, but frig if I can meet the one, right? So <laughs> I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? So that's like such self-hatred and shame. And I'm 53 and I still hadn't figured it out. My last relationship ended in him being arrested and thrown in jail for criminal assault. Holy shit. And that was my wake up call to do this next level of deep work, the psychedelic somatic work. And when on that very first session, I relived all the way through from the horrendousness of it, all the way into what they call zero or still point. I realized why my body was hypervigilantly Non stop level four trauma. Find the abuser to survive. Find the abuser to survive. Find the next abuser to survive. Like it was stuck looping in that level four trauma and it got resolved. And it's taken a, a year's work to do six series of these sessions. But yeah, I'm so proud of myself now that I can forgive myself. I understand why that happened. It is never going to happen again. And yeah, that is now behind
0: me. Kudos to you for doing the work. And you should be very proud of yourself. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life. I'm sure I
0: I can't even imagine. So I applaud your bravery, your courage, Mm -hmm. and your resilience. I think it's incredible.
1: Thank you. I do walk my talk, Brad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You do indeed. (laughs) What is one thing that you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance?
1: Oh, yeah. That's so funny you even mentioned physical appearance because I didn't even go there. I have such an intimate relationship with myself that the stretch marks fine, the wrinkles fine, like whatever, fine. I love my bravery. Yeah. So that's another way of saying I love my heart that's open.
0: hmm Yeah. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself over the course of the last year?
1: Oh, well, it's what I shared with you. Yeah. Uh, that I was repeatedly molested and I had disassociated and had no memories of it. Knowings to be scared about certain people, but that's all that was in my cognitive brain, but in my subconscious, it all came back. So, yeah.
0: If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: Mm. Who that's so hard. I think it would be (laughs) Brene. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's extraordinary. The research that she's teaching us, that's one thing that's profound, but her simultaneous sharing of her own vulnerable journey simultaneously, I think is epic. And I respect all the backlash that she's gone through, and she keeps moving forward with her chin up. I think she's extraordinary. So yeah, she's on my wish list for my podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it will happen.
1: Uh, thanks, you've
0: just put it out there, so it's going to happen.
1: Thank you. And so it is.
0: (laughs) If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Hmm. Oh, that makes me cry. You're going to make it. You're going to make
0: it. Beautiful. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what mm. would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: Mm. Start and end each day with a hand on the heart, a hand on the belly or your genitals, and just super deeply connect to your body. Our bodies have been so underrated we just are in our mind or in our spirit or in our heart, but our bodies are conscious. Our bodies will take us home. Our bodies know. And so to honor and listen to thy body. It's where the truth lives. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Alana, thank you so very much for your time. This has been such an incredibly beautiful, vulnerable inspirational, incredible conversation. I appreciate you so very much. And I'm honored Mm -hmm. to have had this time to be able to sit down with you and learn about who you are and the beautiful light you shine out into the world through the work Mm -hmm. that you do. You're an amazingly inspirational and beautiful woman, soul, and human being. I appreciate you.
1: Oh, Brad, thank you. That means the world to me. And I also appreciate you. I can only go as deep as you listen So thank you for being such a beautiful space to welcome me onto your show. Thank
0: you. My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Alana Pratt. She is an intimacy expert, a certified master coach, a podcast host, and an author. Thank you so much, Alana. I hope you have an amazing, beautiful rest of the day.
1: Thanks. You too. Much love.